talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. Good evening, good morning, wherever you are, one and all, welcome once again to another episode of the Dropped Kickoff here on Green and Gold Rugby. My name is Nick and I'm coming to you on a lovely Tuesday evening up here in Port Stephens, but we're coming off the back of another loss to the Wallabies. The, the winning streak is over and the Wallabies are kicked off their uh, their tour of Europe with a 15-13 to 13 loss to the Scots in Murrayfield, and I am joined by some of the usual suspects tonight to talk about this game and where we go next for our upcoming clash with the Roses in England. Uh, first of all, I'm joined by Dylan down in Melbourne. Dylan, how are you, mate? Yeah, going well, mate. You know, I'm kind of glad I got my sleep in on Sunday, uh, Monday morning and didn't have to uh, turn up late for work. So, Yeah, I think we were all talking about you're going to stay up for the for – the... <laughs> For it or not, at, at, and I know Nathan, you, you were telling us just before the pod that you uh, you didn't get into bed till four thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's the journalist life. Having, having to go through press conferences when when it's like four a.m. in the morning is are oh, oh, interesting, but you know, would be better with a win though. It's tough being the tea boy for Rugby Australia. I get it. It's it's hard. It's a hard <laughs> job. Car park, car park manager, thank you very sorry, much. Sorry, sorry, car park manager. Sorry. It's... I got a promotion. Yeah, gets a promotion. The power goes to his head. Um, but last of all, joining us, I know that he's just come straight back from the pub. Uh, Jack, how you doing, mate? How's the pub schnitty? Yeah, pub schnitty was good. Had a few beers, you know, things are slowly returning back to normal. So it's it's good vibes all around. Yeah, I feel like you're you're at like you're a couple of beers down, and it's the you've got the right level of of lubrication to discuss uh, this match on the weekend because uh, it was a bit of a tough one. But we're going to talk about this. We're going to go straight through it. We're going to go Gene Krantz style, just dissect what happened, what went wrong, what can we do to improve it, and uh, and go from there. But first of all, questions one: our thoughts on this game. Uh, the, the of course, as mentioned, the Wallabies lost to Scotland 15-13 at Murrayfield. Question two: Let's look exactly what the issues are for the Wallabies post this match, um, as well as what happened during the game. Question three, what changes should we provide for England? And I think it's also, uh, this will be a good time to kind of look and, ex- and see what exactly should we expect from the likes of Eddie Jones. And then question four, it was it was a fascinating weekend of rugby. Um, wasn't just the uh, wasn't just the Wallabies game. Uh, there was a lot of other fan- fascinating results and fascinating uh, things to look at. So we're going to have a look and talk about what else stood out, out for us this weekend, and then we'll uh, we'll dive straight and do some predictions uh, for next week. But right, let's get into this match. Uh, as mentioned, uh, it's, it's our third loss on the trot against uh, against Scotland. Uh, they retain the Hopeton Cup, um, and you know it's, it's it goes to show. While it wasn't the repeats of of the 57-22 drubbing we last uh, got at the hands of them when we went when we last visited Murrayfield. Uh, it still was a very tough watch uh, for a lot of Wallabies fans, um, particularly after that five-match winning streak. But let's get into this game. Let's dissect it. Natho, you uh, you got the chance to see it live. What were your thoughts uh, on this game? Uh, it's just one of those close ones that just didn't go our way. I mean... The thing that stood out from watching is just how many chances we had and just either didn't take, whether it's down to 
penalties or just the plays just didn't seem to connect at the right time. Uh, yeah, I think look, looking at the stats, we uh, eight entries into their 22. Only on the eighth one did we end up with that try to rub the odor. I mean, you compare compare that to Japan from our first five, we had 22 points. So that's a startling difference. Um, I think we just just got caught up. It caught up a little bit. Niggle gave away some soft penalties, and then just in that that last sort of sort of 20 minutes, just couldn't build any pressure and allowed Scotland to close out a game, which was was there for the taking. Yeah, it was interesting. I think we we had a we were talking about it a little bit afterwards, and I know Dylan, you uh, you and I are, are going to be have differing opinions on on what made us lose this game. Um, but it was, <laughs> and I'll let you, I'll give you the chance to return fire in a second because uh, it it certainly was an interesting one. But I, it, for me, from from starting looking at it, it really felt like to begin with that the Wallabies. We knew that this this team, you know, they weren't per, they weren't like they still had a long way to go in terms of their improvement. But it seemed like you know they were heading in the right direction, and that's not to say that they're still not. I mean, you know, you still have you do have losses on the way to victory. Um, but it did seem like Scotland looked like they'd really done their research, uh, particularly in terms of the work that they did around the forward pack. And you know, we have you know we've said that the Wallabies seem to have a lot of issues with discipline, particularly in the latter half of you know in in the second half of games. And it looks like Scotland just really did their homework on that and really played off that. Um, Dylan, what are your thoughts on this? I just think it was a game that it just looked like the Wallabies of old. Um, I think in that opening passage of play where we we, look, we made the break and it was probably I think it was the third minute and Ikatao does that ridiculous flick pass out the back that ends up getting intercepted. I just put my head in my hands and went, "This is that's the game." I just knew that that if, they, if they're doing that that early on, they're not building any pressure, they're not building any momentum, they're just flicking the ball around. We're in for a really rough day at the office because having watched the scotland tonga game the week before the scottish forwards just manhandled the tongans up front yeah they did they just played so physical and the tongans love physicality and in the end they were just like i don't want to tackle you anymore and even with a with a rookie back three and you know you didn't they didn't have russell or hogg playing um i don't think they had um vandermeer either vandermeer sorry and the Scots just ran around them in the end. And I, that's what made me quite nervous for this game, going, wow, when you put in a lethal back three like they've got, plus, you know, one of the best uh, half combinations in Price and Russell, that's a deadly back line with a very, very physical, hungry forward pack. And they just, they dominated us. But I don't think they played particularly well. That's why I think we played just poorly. I don't know. I, I disagree on that one. I think it's. I feel like when with that, with the. I feel. I felt like I do agree with you that we. We. It definitely reminded us of the kind of the rudderless, going through the motions wallabies of old. But I felt like that was based more on just kind of the fundamentals that the Scots had, particularly around the forward pack, like you mentioned. And additionally, I, I agree, like the, their back three is world class. Um, those those players are absolutely outstanding. You can't get into a kicking match with with Hogg or Russell. No, you can't. Um, you absolutely can't. You pl- it, was, it was kind of just, I felt like that they kind of dissected the weaknesses that we had. Um, and then we just fell back on, well, okay, well, we've been playing like this for the last five years. Let's throw everything that we've learned out the window from the last five matches. And 
the one the thing I will say about the, the Russell and, and Hogg, who we just, I, I think are probably, they are world-class. When on their kick returns, if they didn't kick it, they ran it hard at the line and then broke the line. And I just think when we do kick returns, very rarely do we do that. So we get into these silly kicking matches and I don't think we kick smart. I don't think we, and I think as sort of Nath pointed out, how many entries did we have? And we just don't, you know, we don't kick for points. I know that's not the exciting way to win rugby, but at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's points win games. Mm. I think there was, there was a couple of stages where we kicked well. I mean, that in that first five minutes when O'Connor puts that kick through and it sits up, that was perfect. Yeah. It was It was just – and I think there was a grubber that sort of set up – eventually led to that first penalty, which O'Connor misses. It just – there wasn't enough of it. It wasn't – there wasn't enough smart of it. And I think that – I don't know whether they don't practice it at full speed at training because you can see all the videos of them practicing kicking and everything at training, but – they're just not executing it correctly in the game. And, you know, if you've got the back three defensively sitting a lot further back, then you go for those chips over. You go for those um, those quick grubbers through. But they always ta- they always seem to do them at the wrong time. So it was almost they did it when Russell or Hogg were, were a lot flatter. And then when they'd go for that big kick back, uh, the deep kick, well, they've already got someone back. So it was kind of they were almost timing it poorly. It's just not playing, like not actually looking at the opposition in front of them. My my question is, because I know like it, there was a bit of a contrast we were looking at, you know, compared to, you know, this game compared to how they played against Japan, um, which, and my thoughts were, you know, it, there, there was a sense of there was not as much uh, adaptability. Um, there was not not as much reading what was actually of the opposition in front of them. But part of me also wonders maybe that might have also been due to the fact that there was an expectation when you have the likes of, say, maybe there was a sense of complacency. You know, you have your Tupo and your Skeletons coming off the bench. Um, you, 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 you probably might have a, 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 a reason to feel some sort of confidence. But like you say, they may have been caught off guard by how good that Scottish pack was. I felt like... That was really where the game was won and lost. I felt that that Scottish pack really, and that's not to say that you know the the back three didn't have an impact. Though I felt certainly felt that, you know, there was a lot of pressure on the Australian back line. Um, you know, O'Connor and and Paisami. but there was I just felt that that pack just muscled us. That just outdid us. Um, out enthused us at um at the actual point of contact. Yeah, it's I think. In- Coming into that as well, I, I think we'll, I'll touch more on this on sort of point two. I think we just we lacked that impact, especially especially when it came around four time. Just and that's where they seemed to sort of get us. I thought when Parisi came on, I thought we we got that impact off him, and it's I think it's no coincidence that's how we scored our first try. But it just you just need to see a little bit more of it when it comes to playing England next this week. So I think on that note, and we can talk a bit on the next topic, but. Um, I think it was Andrew Merton sort of brought it up about the slow ball. And I haven't had the chance to watch the game for a second time, but I can't work out if it's our forward runner's fault or if it's our halfback because there is no quick delivery from the breakdown. So our forwards are running, are standing flat-footed with a 10 that's mm. flat-footed. It's super easy to defend. It's super slow. And that's why, you know, even when I, when I saw Will Skelton coming on, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to break the line. He just got pushed around. And I think because... And like I said, I'm not sure if, we're, if our clean-out isn't presenting a quick, clean ball for the halfback, but Nick White looks slow, getting delivering from the ground, and then the forwards, are they're not running onto it. Like that Parisi try, he's running onto it. Leota, or, sorry, not Parisi, but Parisi ran onto it, but then Leota ran onto it. 
He wasn't standing there going, yeah, yeah, I'm here, I'm here, and then the defense can set. Um, can set. And mm. that's a really it's a, it's a really easy setup to defend because too, it's yeah. super predictable. Yeah. Being and too it's, flat. Well, it's 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 flat. It's sta- it's stagnant, so they're not running onto it. So you can easily, if you've got your pillar post key or one, two, three, whatever term you want to use, it's really easy to eye up who's got who. You then can then set someone a fourth defender a little bit wider to watch for that 10 because lo and behold, pretty much every time we took the ball up, we would turn and throw it to the 10 who would swing it wide, which meant that because we're not staying in tight and we're not running onto it, we're not sucking in defenders, there's a defender out there on our winger or on the fullback. And I think that was a really big problem. That slow ball meant that it was even easier to defend for a team that likes being physical. So we need to be playing it a lot more up-tempo rugby to you know, utilize the speed that we've got. Yeah, and you got to give the got to give credit to the Scots. They're 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 a really good team, and and they you know utilize the rush defense, and they're really tenacious in the rucks, and and brought that physicality, and we just couldn't get any go for it. Yeah, I agree. And look, I think there was a good a good point that Natho mentioned earlier. Like, are we reading it? Like, part of us was also thinking, are we reading too much into this a little bit? Because you know, we, we everyone has been complaining about that that disallowed try and that that uh, call from from Point, uh, which uh, which might have you know, which could have been the difference. I think it was a it was a definitely a contentious point in the game. Um, and how it might have actually impacted the end result or whatever. Is it just a case of, of it's a, a, do you, do we think before we kind of dive into the issues of, you know, these issues for the Wallabies, um, is it something that we think is just, it's just that this, they just kind of felt looked rudderless and kind of went back to the game plan that they had learned under checker or is it, is it and, and is it an indication of an actual of that that those systemic problems still haven't been fully resolved yet, or do you think it was just a moment where they just brain farted and messed up? I, I think it's more the latter. Like I, I don't think they went back on those thing those things on check because there were still sort of passages where you could see where that Rennie game plan and what they've learned on Rennie came through. I generally just think when just looking at it, it just. It just seemed just one of those off games. And whether that had to do with the fact it was, for a lot of these guys, the first game playing in Europe in front of Murrayfield, in front of a near-capacity crowd, where it was losing the sort of chaos that occurred sort of before and after half time with the whole Altoro yellow card, then Tupo goes down, the HIA, um, Pattaya goes down. Although that was a little earlier than, was it a little earlier? No, no I think it was just before half time. And then um, Alto also goes off for HIA, or it's just the simple fact that the Scots played really well, and when they got to that second half, they had just found a way to shut down the forward pack and were just playing their own game. I, th- I don't think we went. It, we can be too hard on ourselves, or and say we just went back to the, the checkerisms of the past. But it's, I think it's just one of, one of those things we just need to learn from and just go go back to that game plan and just stick to it. I think the frustrating thing, Nick, has been that we have been through this so many times that it does, <laughs> we have, we it have. does bring back... <laughs> it's almost PTSD. Um, it, was, it was. And so watching that, like watching the Alatoa yellow card, I've, I've rewatched it. I, I, I don't love it. I get it. It, it, was, it was dumb. Like everything about it was dumb and unnecessary. And you sort of go... And like, you know, it hurts to go that... 
his stupidity had actually no impact on Hooper's try, but we lose that try. Yeah. It does shift the momentum of the game. I think when we play Northern Hemisphere teams, we've got to play more you know, Northern Hemisphere. We've just got to go, hey, we're in here. We've got a penalty. We kick for points. Mm. We're going to kick for points. And we'll rack the points up, and we'll get that point that you go, all right, hey, we've now got 12 or 15 points because we've had five penalties, which is then demoralizing for the other team. If we keep, get, we don't, but we don't. We go, all right, we'll go to the line out. And look, the mall was pretty good, pretty solid, but we didn't score off a mall. So we should be trying to, I think we need to be kicking more points than we do, especially against these. And just, hey, we've got a penalty, let's kick it. Let's, let's just get, a, get points, come back, reset, go again. Kick points, you know, reset, go again. And, that's, and then you do exactly what South Africa did to Wales. They kicked points, kicked points, got mm. the momentum, kicked for the corner, got the rolling mall, got the try, got the win. Mm. And I think that's how we've got to start to play. But we sort of go very early, oh, well, we'll try and muscle up with them. And I don't think it's – I think that's where it's not smart is that we try and muscle up with teams that we can't muscle up to. It's mm. just, a couple, just a couple of points of that. I mean, you mentioned that yellow card turning momentum, yet you look at it, we scored 13 points. Ten of those come with – 14 people. So it didn't, it didn't actually really um, turn the game for us. It just, I think your, your point about the um, playing that more Northern Hemisphere style is, is pretty bang on. Like, look at how we beat South Africa on the Gold Coast. We kicked, what, six or seven penalties that night? Yeah, I we did. So, yeah. yeah, and then and then the tries came through. Like the tries came in the in the second half once we were able to you know deal with that prep, you know, absorb all of that pressure. It was the one try to Callaway, and we kicked seven penalty goals. Seven, yes, seven penalty goals to win a game. Like that's that's the style we really still we have to embrace. But it, it goes against what Australian rugby has always been. So it's always going to be something that's going to alienate people, but. Yeah, I think it's just it's, this is just one big learning experience, I reckon, out of this yeah. game. And 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 look, I don't I don't I don't think we're too far off. I think you know we had a lot of new combinations. O'Connor starting for the first time, all this sort of stuff. Um, and and don't forget, we were we were leading up until the 70th minute. We we sort of clawed ourselves back into that game, even though you know we missed a couple opportunities. So there's definitely a lot to work with. Um, and you know I, I think the, the the signs are good. You know especially with injuries and all this sort of stuff. Uh, there's probably a few tweaks, but um, but uh, I, I think signs are good. Yeah, and I feel like we shouldn't, you know, everyone kind of assumes or makes the assumption that, you know, Scotland is an easy beat. And I I, compl- I don't think that's the case anymore. Not only have we struggled to beat them over the last couple of years, but, I mean, looking at what, you know, Vern Cotter and then now Gregor Townsend have done, they're, they're at, I don't know how they're ranked. I think they're currently ranked, I think it's, I think they're seventh, which is I think is not correct of where they actually are at, at all. Because I mean, they're they're routine, like they've actually got a pretty decent record against England as of late, and and the likes they, of other higher ranked teams. Like they beat they beat England. The only games they lost in the Six Nations, I think, two were like two point and three point losses. Mm. Like they they're a very good side, and I think that what I got out of that game is. One to seven isn't as clear, clear and deep as people might might assume. Looking out to it, because you look at the rankings now, there's no way you, we want to say no, there's no way Scotland's a seventh a seventh ranked side, but nah. six is France. Yeah, that's and that's interesting. Yeah, like, because France are a fantastic. You know, France we know how good France are. Yeah. Well, yeah, ranking is 
rankings aside, it gets skewed by you know rugby championship. Then yeah, <laughs> but you know, I, I, I just love seeing Scotland play. You know, they used to be pretty dire team to watch, but these guys, you know, Hogg, Russell. Um, I thought Sam Johnson, the Aussie guy at twelve, he, he he like did all the hard yards for the for the Scots, and then Hamish Watson was just a terror over the ball. So they've got these really quality players that yeah, I really love to watch coming through, and it, it's just the best time of year when you when you get to see all these great Northern Hemisphere players like do their thing. Um, I think it was just yeah, it, it was a classic battle, which is pretty typical of the uh, this this sort of budding rivalry we've got with Scotland now, where it's where it's an arm wrestle. Yeah, it is. It's 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 always good to to watch them. But now let's move on to question two. Um, so let's kind of look survey the damage. Um, in terms of the result of this. So we are. You're Dave Rennie. You're sitting down on Monday in Murrayfield or down back down in London, and uh, you've got to survey the what. The, t- the team in front of him. Um, there, are, there are a lot of issues. There are, you know, there are some injuries. Uh, there is an HIA with Tupo. And by the sounds of things, uh, let's just assume that he is out for now um, because a HIA is something not to be taken lightly at all. Um, I'm going to throw to you first, Jack, for this question. Um, right now, uh, what are the issues currently facing this Wallaby squad? Uh, yeah, I, I think we touched on it earlier. Um, I think, you know, we, we had this, um, you know, world championship beating squad when we were playing the all uh, the Springboks and, and then on to Argentina and Japan. That, those guys have dropped out and these these new guys have had to sort of step back in. Um, I, I think – I don't think we changed too much. I, I think the core of the team, you know, especially with injuries and that, we can't um, call on too many more players. Like, um, I, I think, you know, O'Connor's – I think O'Connor's still the 10 – um, going forward, I think he was finding his feet. I think he needs to be, be more impactful. I think there's a bit of a conundrum at uh, 12 and 13, who we put in there. Um, you know, I, I've said before, I'm not, I'm not a big, um, not a big guy about uh, put, putting players out of position. But maybe you bring in Parisi at 12. I think Ikitao. I think he, he, he's a gun. Um, he has all the attributes to be this world-class player. So that, then that that puzzle comes between Parisi, Paisami. I think I've said before, I don't know if we know how to use Paisami properly. You know, he's not that Samu Karevi battering ram. Um, so I think we need to be, be a bit more um, clever about how we use him. But, yeah, Kelo- and, and Kellaway, he, he had a good shout at fullback. So all the ingredients are there. Um, I think it's just time because – you know, there's this um, obsession if, you know, we lose a game. And, and don't forget, we only lost it by, what, two points. So yeah. um, I think there's an obsession that we've got to overhaul the whole team because we lost. But I think, um, you know, if you're following that theory of, you know, consistency and, and cohesion, you've you got to stick with the same guys and back them. Yeah, it was. I will say it was. It was quite disappointing. See, you know, a lot of the armchair critics or other fans just there was a, there was a real element of putting of pleasure in in the fact that oh the Wallabies lost to Scotland um, post this game, which was really disappointing. But while you're on the subject of this, because we've talked about you, you mentioned uh, the the whole eligibility thing. There is we oh, we forgot to mention there's that whole situation going on as well. 
um, the whole eligibility thing that happened, you know, since we've been on the, since we, you know, I think it was just after we recorded the Japan podcast, we found out that a whole bunch of boys weren't coming, coming to Europe. Um, and, you know, we've had to, you know, call on the likes of Beal and Skelton and, and, and the like, um, Dylan, what's your thoughts on on this whole situation? Um, and I feel like we'll go down a rabbit hole talking about eligibility, but we may as well try and touch on it as best we can uh, here in this pod. What's your thoughts around, first of all, the, the, how it impacts the the squad um, and also, you know, if there's any any value in us trying to continue to do this off the back of, you know, some of the issues that we've had from the weekend? Uh Talk about the eligibility. I'll do that pretty quickly. I'm I'm all for the change, but I think we need some pretty strict restrictions on it. Um, I think uh, because I, I like the idea of it. Like I like the idea of Lapetti Tamani playing for Tonga on the weekend because I think he's got ten or twelve caps for the Wallabies. He's never going to be a Wallaby again, but Tonga could use him. Um, so yeah, I think a couple of years out of the two to three years out of not playing for that country. But I actually think the one thing that I would like to see brought in with it that no one's talking about is a certain number of caps because I don't want to see... I think, and I, look, this is probably a very tier one nation mentality, but Samu Karevi's played, what, 30-odd times for the Wallabies? Yeah. Who's, you know, when under our, under our previous laws said that he had to have been playing for an Australian team. So he's nicked off to Japan to go and make the money. Well... If he's in Japan for three years and then turns around and goes, actually, you know what? I want to go play for Fiji now because the Wallabies have invested in a young number 12. I think it sort of hurt, it hurts a lot of the you know development that you know teams like the Reds have put into him. And so I think there needs to be a cap, whether it's 10, 15, 20 um, matches for that first country before. Because, and controversially saying, I don't think Israel Folau, who's got 60 Australian caps, should be allowed to go and play for Tonga. I just think he's he's an, he's a he's a wallaby. He's played for that many times. I, I think there should be a cap on that. Um, ahead of uh, the the issues the wallabies face going forward uh, for the, in the coming week, I think we really do need to start to find a bit more continuity. And look, we've got two more tests for the year, so it's probably not the be all and end all. But it does concern me that. And I said this last time that O'Connor and Cooper were our main picks for fly half, and they're mm. both in their thirties because O'Connor looked like he was in his thirties on the weekend. He was slow <laughs> to react. He moved. He just yeah, it, it was a really and I know it was his first game back at ten in a long time, but he should not have been starting ten if he's going to play like that. Um, so the big change I would see is I'd actually think put him at 12 and put Lalesio at, at 10 because we're just shy two years out from a World Cup and if we're banking our World Cup hopes on two blokes in there who are you know going to be in their early, uh, their early 30s come that next game next time we're not going to be a, that's not going to be a championship thing that's not going to be a championship team so I've got a few squad changes we can talk about in the next one but. Uh, yeah, I think we need to start actually thinking towards a World Cup and going, how do we build that continuity? Who is going to be in our plans for that time? Uh, because we are going to be facing teams like Scotland in the World Cup um, and England. So starting to actually work out who can play against them. And I think Eddie's doing a good job of that. And I think even um, uh, Greg is doing a good um, job of that in the way he's um, picking his squad, bringing some of the new guys in, 
letting some of the older heads uh, mentor them. So yeah. Yeah, it's look, it's it's an interesting. It, it is an interesting position to go on, and we'll obviously get get into the those potential changes in a second with question three. Nathan, what are your thoughts on first of all on the the eligibility uh, situation uh, that's been happening over the last week or so? And additionally, in terms of the actual issues that we have, I also want to touch uh, specifically ask you a question about what's happening with the forward pack because with two kind of the more with two of the more senior players um, realistically out for the for the England game, do you reckon? that the issues at Scrum might continue going into this weekend. And firstly, I mean, on the eligibility, I, I like the new, the new plans, that the idea that you can get a nationality switch once they, once they haven't played for that team for three years. I do do agree. I think Dylan makes a great point that you can't be essentially these 50, I don't believe you should be these 50 or 60 capped players all of a sudden making this switch and making this change. Uh, getting on the four pack, I, I, the scrum, actually, looking back on it, I, I know it probably contradicts what I've written as well, but I don't think it was actually as bad as well, the referee wants, wanted to make it look like. Like, yes, we had four, four scrum penalties are never ideal, but when you swapping tight head that much, firstly, that's probably going to happen. And secondly, I feel like some... I, don't, I never want to get into this, the idea of ref bashing, but... I do think there are there is an, an opinion out there that it's still t- 2017 with some Wallabies packs and we can't get we can't we don't know how to even spell scrummaging let alone do it. So I just don't didn't think we got some 50-50 calls. For me, the the thing with the Ford pack that I ne- that needs to change is we just didn't get any carries from him. Like looking looking at the stats, only Rodder was was the was the only guy who who managed five carries that was recorded via stats. Compared to the Japan game, and every every single starting forward member was at least over five. A couple in like your eights to twelves. Now, when you're missing someone like Sami Karevi, that big body that's going to take the ball over the line, that when we played against Argentina and South Africa, it was clear the plan was just use him as a battering ram to get that quick ball, to get that. And, and, and I think it showed in that ruck as well that we weren't getting, we're not getting that impact. It really should have gone back to the forwards and say, look. We need you to lay a platform for us. Get through that advantage line, and so you, we can get that fast ball. And when you, we talk about that continuity and talk about the clean out, I think we just we also didn't do enough in in terms of running the ball hard as a forward pack, or just taking that volume of runs that slowly but slowly but surely will break down a defence eventually give you that time or space for a Nick White to, or and when he came on a Tate McDermott just to snipe around and eventually sort of create that space for, for the backs instead of taking those one or two up and then saying, right, let's try and spin it spin it wide. And I think a couple of times we just got caught doing it and we went backwards 20 metres instead of just going, right, let's just, let's knuckle down, let's get some momentum going. And it's just something that we missed and we need to really sort out by the time we get to Twickenham on Sunday morning. Yeah, let's let's dive into the let's go let's move into question three here. Unless though, Jack, I wouldn't mind your perspectives on the whole eligibility thing as well. And while we're while we're still talking on it, do you have anything? Do you reckon there's do you oh, reckon yeah. there's validity in this one? What are your thoughts? Oh, I have a lot of thoughts. That could be a whole podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> it's it, 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 so many permutations. Like, so for one, yes, it would be, you know, great to raise the profile of tier two nations with, you know, people returning 
and making those teams competitive. I think it'd be better for world rugby in general. But is it fair? How do you make it fair? Um, I think that's probably the uh, issue people are getting um, caught up on. You know, like, is it is it fair that a 30-cap Wallaby can then play for Fiji and then kick another Fijian guy who's committed his whole career to Fiji? Is that fair? Um, you know, because, you know, it, it, it sounds like, you know, we're, we're, you know, when we capture a guy for the Wallabies or something, we're um, preventing preventing them from doing something or or something. But, you know, it, it's their choice. I understand they're, you know, got to make money for their families and all that sort of stuff. But I think that comes with the territory of, you know, sacrificing your international career and declaring for uh, for a nation. So, um, yeah, plenty, plenty, plenty of talk on there. Um, uh, yeah, that, that, that could be a discussion for, for another day. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, I think it'll be something that we'll definitely keep a watch on. Yeah, but I also <laughs> want to point out, like, you know, this might all this talk might all be redundant if you know the vote doesn't go through. And <laughs> yeah. it might not because you know the, there's there's vested interest in in the vote, and I think most of the northern hemisphere teams are probably against it because yeah. you know they're benefiting from it. Well, it's, the other thing we haven't talked about is it could go the reverse. Um, you know, like we we joke about someone like Lewis Liner, but he's eligible for England, Italy, and Australia. So, you know, let's say hypothetically Eddie caps him this weekend and then goes, actually, no, you're too young, mate. Go back and play um, Prem Rugby. Well, there's nothing to say that in a couple of years we couldn't go, hey, we need a specialist winger like you. Do you want to come down under and play for us? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, um, Sione Tuopolotu, who's the ex-Melbourne Rebels player who made his debut for Scotland last week. Like, he's of Tongan birth, but his whole... He grew up in Melbourne, so yeah, I'm and pretty he, sure he'd, he'd have eligibility with us as well. Now, yeah. does that mean if Scotland don't want to use him, we can try and poach him back? And, and it's um, and there's a case where it's you know that tier one, tier two sort of movement between between those because um, especially Fiji, they're actually against it because because of that argument. You go. So a, a Fijian guy who's who's come across to maybe New Zealand or Australia or something, um, he'll he'll wait out, you know, declaring for Fiji and and get a gig with Australia, knowing that you know if he doesn't get more caps with Australia, he can wait and then go play for Fiji as well. So Fiji lose him for the first five years of his career or something like that, and only get him back when he's thirty. So um, there there is resistance to it even within that two tier sphere. So. Yeah, it's a very complicated issue. The other thing to consider yeah. is um, New Zealand's, uh, they have pretty strict eligibility rules. I remember reading this about Sevu Reese, was that they're, um, in their super rugby teams, they're only allowed a certain number of players who aren't eligible to play for New Zealand to prevent it. So it's going to actually, I think, hurt a lot of these guys in the long run because you'll start finding, you know, you think about how much time and energy the Reds have put into Samu Karevi or Taniela Tupo. Now, if Tupo was turning around, actually, you know what, I'm going to go play for, I'm going to go over to seas and play for um, Suntory and then rack up the doll, um, rack up the dollars there and then play for Tonga. And then the Reds are going, well, why the fuck are we going to invest in, in these young Islander boys? Or, you know, the Rebels or the Brumbies or the Waratahs, the Force, they're just going to go, well, why are we going to invest in these guys if they're going to run off on us? Because we can't match the overseas money. We can't offer them. And if they go overseas, well, they'll still get to play. Uh, they'll play for us for a little bit and then they'll, you know, get their value up and then run off. So 
I think that something needs to be changed. And as I said, like, you know, Lepetti Tamani, who is an ex-Wallaby who will not play for the Wallabies again, I have no issue with it. Um, but I think there needs to be a, con- a better conversation than just, oh, yeah, three years out of the game, do it. Because, yeah, I think there needs to be a certain number of caps and other things to be considered. I think I think Mertz raises it on that that on that new show on Stan or the Between Two Posts where he said there's probably not a lot of people doing it. So you could even go case by case. I don't think it would be that, you know, that complicated. What you know, you'd have, you know, maybe ten people a year trying to do it. So but anyway, yeah. On on to the England game, eh? Yeah, it's it's look, it's it, people are. I think so many people are prepared to. We're uh, we already seeing a, a riding off the Wallaby side here, but it's interesting to note that you know uh, of that Eddie Jones has one of the in terms of his actual record has actually got one of the worst records against Scott. Um, you know, in terms of every team he's played, Scotland is one of the worst that he's gone against that he that he's had. He's played six games, won three, drawn one, lost two. So he's only one got a fifty percent record. So. Hey, who knows? It might be a very close game as well. So, um, Nathan, I'm going to throw to you first for this question here. So, if we are looking to win at Twickenham, we haven't uh, beaten the English since 2015. What are our options? What are our options? What changes should we provide? I think we just we stick largely with the squad that we named. I, I quite like watching uh, sort of that main core group of players starting to build caps. Just looking back at this, the first test we played here, it's crazy to think just in July you have people like Rob Valentini, Tate McDermott, uh, Angus Bell, Tom Wright, even Hunter Paisami, all having only like five or six caps, and now they're in a double digit. So I think we keep keep that continuity flowing. The only changes I would make would be injury forced. I know Bataille's, he's gone, most likely for the rest of the spring tour, but definitely for England. I, w- I would, I know you, you made a suggestion of um, Pattaya for 12, Dylan. I, w- I would like to see him on the wing. I know he's played there in the Reds in the past, and I think he really can give you that carry back and try and break that line off the kick returns. Did you say Parisi? Parisi, yes. Oh, no, I want Parisi on the wing. I want O'Connor at 12. Oh, that's a move. Yep, sorry. That's my answer. <laughs> uh, keep, I, I would keep O'Connor at, tw- at 10. I think you just, you've, Still got that combination with Paisami at 12. And, I mean, yeah, he's been pretty rusty. But let's not forget, he was Super Rugby AU MVP for a reason at 10. Like, he's he's a quality player. So, I'd keep him there. Largely keep the forward pack the same. The only thing is, if Tupo is fit or not fit, I mean, he's got to come through protocol. And six days is... Let's face it, if you're a betting man, you'd be saying he's not going to pass Let, it in time. Let's assume that he's out. I reckon he's going to be out. Yeah, we'll assume he's out. And then, so we're now looking for a tight head prop, which is now a bit problematic when we consider Pono Farmacilli was left at home because of injury. You probably next in line is Tom Robertson, which again throws up the same slipper argument of he's a, he's a loose head by trade that's played a tight head sort of in the past for the Waratahs, but I know Ollie Hoskins' name has been thrown around as a potential someone to come into the squad, the former force prop. I think you just keep Tom Rump, you bring Tom Rumson on the bench, bring Alessio on the bench as well. If you're going to bring Parisi into the starting side and use Bill as that cover sort of back position, he can essentially cover every other position. So 
I think that's the only two, two positions you really need. Maybe if you're looking for more impact, you go for a Dungunu over and over Parisi and you keep him as that impact player. But I, I wouldn't be calling for sort of widespread changes, just just minor tweaks here and there. That's all we need. I'm sensing, Dylan, you're going to have a differing opinion on this uh, on this one. I'm, are you, like, especially, I'm curious to hear about, you, you know, particularly how you've been talking about the, uh, the, the situation at 10. Um, I'm assuming that you'll want to bring in Alessio uh, as a start. Uh, would you be bringing him into the squad? I, I would. I think we should be starting him. I think just he, he needs to start and be supported by mature heads. Um, you know, I was really just disappointed in Tamur at 12 back in the, in the French series because he didn't offer that support that he should have as, as a mature head. But look, I think if you wanted to keep O'Connor at 10, you've got to do it based on almost what Eddie chooses. So if Eddie throws in, if, um, if Farrell starts at 10, you could probably get away with putting um, Jock at 10. But I think if he's going to start Marcus, uh, Marcus Smith, Jock was just way too slow. And just watching Smith skip around players, he, yeah, he'll just run around Jock. He'll... And he'll have he'll have a, he'll have a field day playing against Jock because he can kick to space. He can do the little grubbers and chip kicks and recover it. I just think uh, we're in for a world of hurt if Jock's playing ten against Marcus Smith. Um, I do agree. It's pretty hard to make any real changes to the starting forward pack. Injuries aside, um, like I would have loved to start Tupo because I just think that front row on the weekend of uh, Genj, George, and um, Sinclair. That's a that's a good front row. That's a really yeah, tough front row. It's a really good row, and that scares me a little bit. Um, but it, what also scares me is the mobility of their um, their back five. You know, you've got a Toji who can play. You know, can move. I don't know if you guys saw Courtney Laws' cover tackle. Like, how did a six a man that size chase down? A, 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 um, oh yeah, the Tongan, like the Tongan guy. Yeah, yeah. Like and he got surprised <laughs> that he got tackled by Courtney Laws. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so they do have, you know, they're playing Tom Curry at eight. Um, that they have a pretty um, damning forward pack. But I do like, I do like the combination we're starting to build with Leota, Hooper, and um, Valentini. Valentini's really improved a lot at eight. Um, you'd probably go with Arnold and um, and Rodder again. Uh, I do feel bad for Swain and Phillip being sort of pushed out, uh, but I would actually bring one of them on the bench instead of Skelton. I don't think Skelton had any impact. He yeah. might as well not have been there. Yeah. Um, I, I would go. I would put if uh, go with White Lalesio. I'd then put O'Connor to twelve and drop Paisami out of the squad. Um, put him back on a plane. Actually, um, I think yeah, Ikitao at thirteen. Let's keep that consistency. Parisi on the wing. Um, with, uh, yeah, you can put Tom right in the wing still. Just tell him to not give away stupid penalties and um, keep Callaway at fullback. Um, you could shift Callaway to the wing and put Beal at fullback if you wanted more mature heads, but Beal didn't play particularly well either. His face when he got picked up by the two second rolls was kind of said it all. Um, yeah, so I'd, I'd make a few changes because I think you need to. I think looking at the way England played on the weekend and looking at England's strengths you're going to have to make a few changes. Um, and as I said, you just start playing for points. Don't that don't try and out-muscle this England squad. That was always Checker's mistake. He thought, oh, I'll out-muscle Eddie. I'll, out, you know, I'll go out and do that. And it was just, we never did it. We never beat them. So let's just get, hey, we've got a penalty? Points. Hey, we've got a penalty? Points. 
that'll start to drop their heads because they do actually have a lot of immature players in their squad who do, you know, guys like like Sinclair give away penalties like their um their bloody lollies, mate. So, you know, we can beat them if we do it smart. Yeah, it's an look. It's an interesting one to look at. The but I, I'm, I, I'm I'm surprised that you want to send Paisami home as much as I as, I'm as, not. as you're not. <laughs> not not here last week. <laughs> yeah, look, mate. Last week wasn't very. Look, I'll give you this. Last week wasn't very good. But I mean, like, geez, send him home. Bloody hell. Okay, keep him at twelve, but will you just stop playing him like like he's Sami Kravi? No, no, but see, like as I said, going back to what Rennie said about Lalesio, I actually think that's what he should have been saying about Paisami is. Paisami needs to develop his game and how he wants to play because he's not a ball distributor. He's, he doesn't have the body strength at the moment to be a, cra- a crash ball like Karevi. But in saying that, Karevi wasn't always, you know, Karevi has blown, you know, been, is just leaps and bounds ahead of where he was two years ago. And I think playing sevens and playing outside Bowden Barrett has really helped him because Karevi couldn't pass. Mm. And now he can. Now he can offload. Now he sucks in defenders and offloads. I think that's what Paisami's got to do. He's got to go and learn how to play, how he wants to play, but, you know, kicking it and woeful passing and lack of ball security. I I don't think he's a test 12. And I don't think, I think if we were going to keep playing with some of these young guys and everything, we do need some mature positions. And maybe that's when you do bring in someone who you go, well, he's not going to be in our next World Cup, but we just need that position filled while we grow. Mm. Uh, And that might be Karevi. Shit, that might be Matt Tamil when his head's right. Uh, it might be Jock. It might be, you know, but I don't think he is a, I don't think he's our answer at 12. And I think that I don't like the combination of him and Icky Tau. Mm. I think Icky Tau played exceptionally well outside of Karevi. And I think he, he, got, he grew a lot from having someone like Cooper as well uh, and Marika. So, and they were three players that we were sorely missed. I think if we'd had them, they would have made a very big difference on the weekend. Yeah. But I don't think a young combination of those two, I don't think having Geordie Pattaya next to Icky Tau helps him either. And Tom Wright. Like, I think they're all really young players. It's a really green side. It's a really green back line. It's a really green back line. And I think that, you know, we keep throwing all these young players into it, but... Maybe we need to, you know, maybe there are some positions that we need to go, all right, well, who, who is 25, 26, 27, 28 that we can put in those positions? And that's why I think Kellaway's having just a killer season because he's mm. not 21. And, you know, he's, he's had that maturity. He's talked a lot about it, the maturity he got. So that's why I don't mind some of, you know, it, look, I don't think bringing Luke Morahan into the squad might be, is the answer, but maybe having a mature player on the, more mature players on the field will help with, better decision-making and better lines and, and all those things. Yeah. Look, I, I do think though, that if you're going to, if you're going to, if you do kick Paisami out or bring someone else in, um, I do agree that that, that's, that back line is really green and they were shown up against Scotland. And I think the, my only ch- probably change from what you suggested would be to maybe bring Lalesio on from the bench. One, because I think he's still, I mean, it's, it, it's been a little while since he's had a couple of, he's played. I mean, the last time he played was that, that's that terrible afternoon in Perth. Uh, when he against the All Blacks, um, so it would make sense to have your head like a head like O'Connor, who hopefully will continue to, will start to improve and 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 kind of hopefully give that that green backline a bit more direction, but then bring on you know Lesio to bring the game home, um, which will just give him hopefully give him a shot in the arm. Um, 
Jack, what are your thoughts uh, in terms of what we should change for this game against England? Yeah, um, I think yeah, stick with the stick with a similar team. You can rejig depending on injuries. I think yeah, Parisi might have to get a start somewhere in there. Um, but I, I, I think we got to go back to the game plan uh, that we played against the Springboks. You know, we're, we're capable of it. Um, it's it's pretty basic rugby where you we you got to earn the right to go out wide. Um, kicking needs to be better. Just plug the corners, um, wait wait for the penalties, take the points, and then and build that pressure. Um, the, the, this game I'm predicting is going to be pretty brutal, um, and, and we've got to face up to that and and and, and go through the middle middle and and work really hard. Uh, and and it yeah. Yeah, it's it it definitely it definitely gives you know the the, the current issues that uh, that we have certainly mean like we 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 should I think be a little apprehensive going into this England game, but I think the game can still be won. I reckon this team does have it in. Yeah, the we're, we're, we're capable of playing at that level. It's just um, working working through our game plan, not trying to get too cute with it. You know, it, yeah, it, it, it and that and that Springbok game was the blueprint to do that. The biggest, the biggest, the worst possible result that we could have um, this weekend, Dylan, like, correct me on this if I'm wrong, um, <laughs> would be just seeing the exact same game that we had for the past five years. They fall back on the same checkerisms that we're worried about. Um, Pretty much, yeah. I, like I think that is the just... worst case scenario right now, and, it, and if that's the case, then you know I've, I've I've dealt with seven of these. I can deal with. I could. It would it would it would it would suck considering how well the team's been going, but you know they've won five on the trot, and I and I believe that that is genuine progress and genuine improvement. Um, if anything other than that, if they if they show up and put in a fantastic performance, I reckon that'll and you know take what they've learnt this season. I reckon that'll that'll say a lot. Yeah, absolutely. I think if they can, if they put up a good fight, and I think that's why everyone's a bit salty about the Scotland game, is that it wasn't a good fight. And I think if they put in a good fight, and it, you go, you know what, fuck England, we're just better on the day. We just can't help. We, you can't help that England just came together. Um, but I think if we, then you can you can really sit there and go, all right, well, we, we've got a lot of improving, but we've still got two years until the World Cup, and that's that's when winning matches win matters. I think that, but I think yeah, if we just go out there and they do to us what every other team had done to them this weekend, um, in terms of you know you saw what uh, the, Jap- uh, the Irish did to the Japanese and the um, All Blacks did to Italy, like if that happens, and, and what England did to Tonga, if that happens to yeah. us, we're like, might as well get on the plane now and just not play the Welsh. Like, <laughs> it, because that, that is just, it's a regression. And that's just not where we can be right now. We need to be, you can still lose, but, you, you know, you need to lose well and play smart and lose well. Yeah. Yeah. You can still be proud of a team if they lose, if they put in the effort and really put in a solid performance and it was just a case of, you know, you were just you were beaten by a better side, but you didn't do anything wrong. Um, I reckon. But look, it's an interesting one to watch on. But before we we dive into predictions for this weekend, let's 
let's talk about what else stood out for us this weekend just gone because there was a lot of interesting rugby and there's been a lot of interesting rugby news. Um, I'll give you guys each the chance to kind of highlight probably maybe one or two things that stuck out to you guys uh, in terms of what in the, the other results that we saw, other major rugby news. Um, Nathan, I'm going to throw to you first. Um, apart from this, this uh, the situation with the Wallabies, what else uh, stood out to you this weekend? Yeah, I know. We've been talking a lot about England. And, you know, I'll keep the talk on England, except go to the women's team. I think something we haven't – we missed we yeah. the Japan one from before the first game. But, my God, have they, got, have they had a great two weeks absolutely yeah. tearing up New Zealand. I don't think I've ever seen, like, a, a New Zealand side smashed so convincingly. I've never seen that. It's unbelievable. But not, not only, not only the, the one-off game, it was when you go out and beat a New Zealand team 43-12 and then come out the next week and go, you know what, we can do better than that and put 56 on them. Like, that's incredible. And all of a sudden, it sends a massive message in a World Cup to, you know, sm- absolutely smash the world champions two weeks in a row. It's sets up for a great 2022, I reckon. Yeah, those games, those two, those two uh, England, uh, black, those two kind of Red Roses, Blackburn games were some of the best rugby I have watched all year. They were outstanding, that, that English women's team. Um, just so slick. The actual, the way they just took apart that New Zealand side was incredible. Just New Zealand didn't have the chance to really make any impact on that, especially in that second game. Um, so much to enjoy. If you haven't seen these games and you've got uh, access, Stan Sport conveniently has a full a full match replay. And I'm not just saying that as a promotion. I'm just a fan, and these games are fantastic. Um, Dylan, what uh, what stood out to you? Uh, well, I was actually going to talk about that uh, that women's game because that was yeah really impressive <laughs> rugby. Um, so no, thanks for beating me to that, Nath. Um, I think that one thing that I don't want to spend too much time talking about it, but just the the dumb fuckery of these idiots trying to get on the pitch. It's it's got to stop. And I think that the this Jarvo needs to stop being celebrated. I know Brad Weber wants to have buy him a beer, but you know, I wonder how celebratory people in New Zealand would be if he ran ran through the Harker or you had you know this dickhead slapping his chest during it. And I think that you saw his disrespect for the Japanese national anthem. Those are those are guys that have busted their ass to get to that level, and they've played. They're, they're representing their country, and this guy's making it about him. And then old mate that just wanted to prove a point uh, at the Wales game and jumped on. Just I don't I don't think he completely cost Wales the try, but he did throw Liam Williams off balance, which then caused the the knock on. And I just think that it's. It's unnecessary. It does nothing. And, you know, that bloke in Wales has now been uh, lifetime banned from the uh, Welsh Rugby Union. So he can't play. He was a registered rug- uh, rugby player. So oh, oh, oh. Wow. lifetime banned from Principality. For what? Your 30 seconds of your thirty seconds of fame, of which everyone in the in the stadium was throwing beer, um, beer cans yeah. um, cups at him. So yeah. I just, I think, I don't know why now. I don't know what's in the water in the Northern Hemisphere, but... Guys, pull your fucking heads in. They've been locked up for six months. Yeah. Right? yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah, what so, it is. So are we. Yeah, I know. we got we got cricket coming around the corner. That that's a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, yeah look, the ash is coming up. No idea. My, my concern with that is, my, and just just a point point I want to make is, like Javo, yeah, haha, funny, funny. You know, he's takes takes the piss. What happens if he brought something with him? What happens if he, if he gets in with something sharp that all of a sudden? 
a security guard who's trying to get trying to get rid of oh, not get rid of um sort of monitor fifty thousand people all of a sudden misses. He's right next to those players. What what happens if it's someone who is not taking the piss and someone who is legitimately trying to make a name for himself and make a point? He was in range where he could legitimately stab one of the players. And yes, I'm being over dramatic, but realistically, that could have happened. That could have happened on multiple occasions now. And all of a sudden, yeah, we, we think it's hilarious. It's yeah, not. You, you, yeah, you wouldn't if he had COVID. <laughs> that's it as well. Like, yeah, you wouldn't COVID, have COVID. And all, all of a sudden, like these players are forced into so many restrictions. Like I know the Wallabies are. When I, I'm not sure if it's still the same now, but they were stuck stuck in hotel quarantine, couldn't leave anywhere. You, this guy could have had it and been right next to him. This this dude could have legitimately been a threat to people, and all of a sudden we're laughing because haha, look, he got got away from security. It's like no, condemn the bastard. It look it I I think when the when he started doing it with the with the cricket and trying to play that was kind of you know almost charming doing it during national anthems I think is a bit on the nose because it takes away from the actual honor of playing the game like yeah I think it doesn't you I guarantee you wouldn't see him trying to go like trying trying to go out and play actually play on 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 a feet on a rugby field with professional athletes like he was with cricket and I really hope he doesn't show up in a Wallabies jersey on the weekend. I really hope he doesn't. It would just be so annoying. I hope um, he runs straight into Will Skelton and he gets absolutely pile-drived. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look, the novelty's definitely wearing off, <laughs> to put it mildly. I will, I will just add, Nick, because I know that there's a bit of criticism about my negativity. That uh, <laughs> I, I do want to say, celebrating... Uh, you, I don't know if you saw the Japanese team gave... Um, Johnny Sexton a sword, uh, katana, yeah, yeah, but yeah. to celebrate his hundredth, and his reaction was just—I think it's really great they've now been giving out the swords. Um, I think that yeah, because they gave one to the Wallabies after the match. I think that it, I just think it's a—it's a really cool tradition. Followed on with um, uh, Hooper giving Romain Point a didgeridoo. Yeah, which, also gave one to the Japanese as well. Yeah, I, I saw that they gave one to the Japanese. Um, which I think, yeah, I think it's a really cool idea of this this sort of sharing of the gifts. And um, Sexton was just blown away by it, so yeah. he looked like he was about to cry. It's it's a reminder to leave the the, the disagreements and stuff on the field. Like Absolutely. At the end, it's just a literal embodiment of you know people were criticising Point and stuff like that, and you know we've made it no secret that we've had you know disagreements with how he likes to ref games in the past. But the bloke at the same time has done seventy two tests. Like it, that's a fantastic effort as a referee, and leaving it on the field, I think, um, and you know, celebrating what he's actually achieved off it, I think, is you know, worthy of it. Um, Jack, what uh, what what else stood out for you this weekend? I just want to give a shout out to uh, Elliot Green, uh, the sevens player. She sort of announced her, you know, quote unquote retirement today. So I, I think it's you know family reasons, but we'll we'll see. You know when. Hopefully she's not uh, lost to rugby altogether. Hopefully she grabs on, uh, jumps on the stand broadcast or something. But, you know, what an impact she's had on on the Sevens program along with all those girls, you know, inspired uh, an entire generation. And and her story in particular is, is pretty remarkable. So, um, yeah, just uh, just a thank you for her, for her service to Australia. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, that, 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 uh, that uh, Olympics campaign really united a nation and, and she's got a lot to be proud of. So uh, good luck in your next endeavour. Yeah. 
when they talk when they talk about that that Australian women's sevens team, uh, she is going to be talked about a lot. Um, and I, I really hope that she continues to be involved in the game in some capacity. But good on her; she has achieved so much. Um, you know, in that sevens role, it's been absolutely fantastic. She um, hasn't been poached by uh, by rugby league, has she? Because I saw that um, Emma Tongado's um, she re- retired from sevens, but as uh, I think she's playing uh, rugby league now. Yeah, it doesn't look like she has. I think it, it's a case of um, it, looks, it looks like her, her partner is going to be – is either um, pregnant or that they're trying for a – No, I think she's preggers. <laughs> yeah, just just check out the Instagram. Yeah, expected arrival February 22. So she's probably just – the tone in the post seemed to indicate she was focusing on essentially moving on and essentially starting a life as a parent, which is wonderful. But, again, it's – she her she will go down as one of the best players in sevens history, full stop. So it's a it's a big loss, and I know missing out at the Olympics. Well, that I know for a fact that wasn't an easy call across within the, that seven squad. I'm pretty sure it was. I don't actually know John Menenti labels it one of the toughest things he's had to do is is leaving her out. So look, her impact in, in on that sevens team and in the game of sevens, will be felt for a while. On a day when... It's a shame that she doesn't get those... to wear those nice new golden First Nation jerseys, which came out this morning, which just... Looked- yeah. Yeah. Which is... They, they, they look incredible. Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, a, I want to buy them. Nice alignment with, um, you know, the new the new Wallaby gold and, and the Indigenous designs as well. That's... Yeah. I'd like to see them in action. When are they on designs as well, which is nice. Because I want one. When are they on sale? <laughs> uh, ne- next year, I think the word is oh, uh, early twenty-two. I want, but I want to give them my money now. Far out. Sure, I can take my money. <laughs> um, Maybe Santa will bring me one for Christmas. I've been a good boy this year. Yeah, I've been a good boy <laughs> for, for, for Melbourne Uni. Melbourne Uni owe you a, a bunch of stuff. Um, I've got a, uh, I've got a two little shout-outs. First of all, just a couple of the results from the weekend. First of all, shout out to Spain for leading at halftime against Fiji, um, even though they went on to lose 13-43. Um, I think that's a fantastic uh, a result uh, for, the, for, the, for Spanish rugby and in terms of the, pro- the, the progress that they've been making. Additionally, Portugal knocked over Canada, which I think is, fa- is really fascinating because you'd think Canada would be one of the stronger Tier 2 nations, but they've been having a rough run of it as of late. Um, but then, interestingly, the, and, we, and we're talking about... Uh, the, we'll talk about predictions for the upcoming weekend. Um, we, I, I was having a chat to friend of the pod um, and our resident, uh, our resident uh, America's uh, contact for America's rugby, Paul Tate, about Argentina um, and the fact that they have now lost seven on the trot, um, include uh, with their loss, their 29-20 loss to France. And there has been some discussion because Mario Ledesma's. Um, contract comes to an end in December so and basically he, they have two matches left with a game against Italy and I think against Ireland is the last one and uh, there's talk about whether Mario might actually make it uh, or will be, or might be asked politely to step down it'll be an interesting one to keep track of um, I think that's a pretty unfair assessment of the of them because if, if you listen to um Montoya talk when he talked about you know them being away from home for two years. Yeah, that is it, true. It's really tough on those guys, and I I just really felt for them. I know that uh, a lot of people thought they were a bit 
bit salty and a bit disrespectful after the Australia game, but they've yeah they've lost seven on the trot and they've been on the road for seven uh, for eighteen months or something because they haven't yeah they haven't gone home they've been away from their families their families have tried to come with them. Um, we don't talk a lot about the impact that COVID had down in South America, but it was pretty bad. So I think holding him to that standard is pretty ordinary. Um, but it might also be linked to the checker curse, you know. So. Yeah, well, this, my worry is because he's only got a winning record of 20%, 23% with them um, in his entire run with, with Argentina. But and he hasn't been with them for long, was he? he was 2018. 2018 is when he, he became the head coach. Okay. Yeah, and so I think he's done had about 30, 35 tests with them. And, but yeah, look, I think, look, it, it'll be, obviously that'll be a decision for, for the Argentine Rugby Union to make, uh, not us, but... Definitely is interesting times, and I do. Th- I think my thoughts were on it at least that you know, considering he's the first professional Argentine coach that they've had, um, if, if if they were to decide to go with the with the coach who used to who used to coach the Jaguares um, in their last like one or two seasons where they had that really strong uh, streak uh, of performances, um, definitely keep Mario on though because it helps hugely to have that that professional coach, maybe as a director of rugby role or whatever. Um, either that or they keep him on and see how he goes and hopefully he'll have the chance to maybe turn things around because it definitely looked like there was a bit of there has been a bit of a drop off in the quality of performances this year. And we do want Argentina doing really well because it makes such a difference. It's amazing how much, you know, all the other rugby nations uh, in the Americas get behind them when they're performing well. Um, let's head to this weekend. Um, we'll do some select. I'll do a couple of just very select games uh, for us to predict, but then we'll finish up with this England Australia game. Um, first up, uh, I'll just get a. I'll go. We'll go for, uh, just a like a two one sentence a prediction on these these respective games, and then we'll and then we'll kind of finish up with England and Australia, Italy Argentina. Uh, Jack, who do you think is going to win? Ooh, um, let's go to the Argies. Ed, you Argies. Dylan? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Argies. Argies as well. Natho? Uh, Argies. Italy, Italy barely deserved to be in Six Nations, so. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. All right, now we have this match, Scotland versus the Springboks at Murrayfield. Back the other way. Uh, Natho, what are your thoughts? Um, it surprised me seeing um, South Africa go in as favourites. This is, this is a game Scotland can quite easily win. I, I'm saying Scotland. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Scotland can win this. I, re- I really reckon they can. Uh, Jack, what are your thoughts? Uh, I predict that Finn Russell will bust out some magical plays, and I think uh, Scotland will win. Dylan? Uh, yeah, I'm going to go Scotland. Wow. No what? one back in the box. Wow. <laughs> Savage. We're on the three-buck three Scots. <laughs> South Africa are $1.40. That might be worth it. That might be worth it. That's a cheeky bet right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, That's a this, curse uh, right there. That's what it is. Yeah. Um, next match is, I think, I personally think is the match of the weekend, Ireland versus the All Blacks. Um, Dylan, I'm going to lead with you first on this one. Who do you think is going to win in Dublin? I, I think it'll be actually a very close game. Um, I really want to say Ireland. Everyone wants to really say Ireland, mate. <laughs> I, no, no, but like I, I, I think the All Blacks are going to win. I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go. Uh, but that, the Irish, do, uh, the Irish are the streak breakers. So I'm like, you know, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go Ireland. Oh, you're going to go Ireland. Yeah, I'm back in Ireland. You're back in Ireland, uh, Jack. Do you agree, or are you yeah. going with the darkness? 
Oh yeah, gotta gotta back the heritage. Go Ireland. <laughs> I've never. I don't think I've ever seen you ever back New Zealand ever. <laughs> Nathan, what do you reckon? You fools! You fools! All all blacks do all blacks things. That's that's win. Yeah. Look, uh, All Blacks have scored. Have score, uh, currently holding a record with the most number of Test points scored in a calendar year. I do not see that stopping, but I think it'll be a very close match. Yeah, it'll be a very close game. I reckon. Uh, I reckon. All yeah, Black- but that, that's what happens when you pick to play. You know, th- you know, the team like Tonga when they're using tradies that came. You know, <laughs> amateur players that came off a job yeah, site. Tonga, US, match. Italy, they're gonna and you go on and play. Yeah, Italy. Like, come. Yeah, on, that's it. true. That that's this is, this is this is part of the All Black brand though. They're winners yeah. and they win by hundred points and no one gets sick of them winning because they're not interested in playing top tier nations all the time. They'll go and play the the minnows and they'll smash them and they'll go look how good we are. Whereas yeah, Australia, those... we go oh we got to play all the best and we're going to get smashed. So yeah. God, all those fixes are a joke. <laughs> they're absolute joke. All right, last last game, last one. We all know what it is: England versus the Wallabies. Uh, you can elaborate a little bit further on this one. Uh, Jacko, I'll kick off with you. Who is taking home the chocolates? Uh, I predict Eddie Jones will stir the pot, get everyone rolled up, take take the attention off his lads. Um, but I have a sneaking suspicion we can do it. Yeah, uh, It's just time for the Wallabies to really, really make a mark and, and, and set ourselves up well for the, for the next couple of years. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's definitely one to keep track of, and I think we 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 all talked about how in this entire tour, if it was to finish with a one v one win out of three, and we win against England, that's a successful tour. Um, I I definitely definitely it would be a huge boost for us if that was the case. Um, Natho, do you reckon we'll be taking home the Cook Cup? Yeah, I, I actually reckon we will. I think Eddie will, will try, try the mind games. It's not going to be like the checker of past where it was like Button Lisa playing rock, paper, scissors where Czech's like, good old rock never fails. And Eddie's like, done check. Always goes with rock. Um, I think I think the players would know what's going to come out of Eddie. I think Eddie's very much – Eddie's already got himself in trouble with the media already. It's like what, what Tuesday morning over there. For his take, take about um, Emma Raducanu and the, the whole BS that's coming out of that. I, I think Eddie is slowly but surely losing the media over there. I think he'll try and do that against Dave Rennie, and Dave Rennie will utter all about three words to any pot <laughs> shot that Eddie wants to come at him because he just he seems like that guy who'd rather just p- play the guitar in response. Um, I think you we come in with a, a team that is going to be pretty hurt after the loss against Scotland and with a point to prove I think that that bodes well if they, looks like they'd probably start Farrell over Smith I, I, I think that would have been the case last week, I think it would be the case this week I, I really think we can match up well with them if we can get that that explosive go forward from from the likes of a Valentini or even, even a skeleton off a bench just, I, I think we can match up well with them. I, I'm, I'm calling a Wallabies win, man of the match, James O'Connor. Oh, now, oh, <laughs> Rugby Reg will be happy with that. <laughs> Dylan, do you agree? Do you disagree? Hit me uh, with your prediction. We're gonna get smashed. 
<laughs> I'm sorry, I'm with Dylan. I, I, I don't think I, I honestly don't think I just think if I if, if Eddie plays that exact same squad, no changes, we will just get absolutely dominated. I, I think that we'll get I, I, I really hope we don't get smashed in the scrum because I think that our scrum has been a strong point this year. But if we play, if, we might be in with a chance if we play smart because I do think they'll give away penalties. But if we try and beat them at every scrum and every line out and every maul, we're, we're not going to, we won't win. We won't beat that match. And if we try and play slow ball against them, which we played against Scotland, we won't win that match match matchup either. And let's be honest, their their uh, their centre combination of Tuolangi and Slade will just run over the top of Paisami and Nikitao. They'll just obviously I might take joy in watching Manu Tuolangi just run over the top of Paisami. That'll be entertaining. <laughs> um, Jesus, <laughs> but I just think what I saw on the weekend didn't give me confidence that we can beat them. It just didn't. Look, I'm I'm in agreement. I thinking I think it's going to be an England win. Um, however, I, I it's mostly due to the fact that I don't think. I mean, this has been a very established side for you know quite a few years now. This England team, um, you know, and that and they've been you know working you know with Eddie for you know since 2016. And I think you know while we are showing a huge amount of maturity and improvement, uh, I don't. I wouldn't say I'm 100% confident that it, that level of maturity improvement will be enough to to end this this losing streak against the English. So I'm hoping for a very close game, showing a huge amount of improvement. I will be livid if we have another 40 to 16 loss, and and doing this and doing the check doing checker falling into checkerisms and doing the same rope a dope bullshit. Um. That'll bring us to the end of this podcast for the week. Thank you as always, uh, lads. Um, and to all of our listeners, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure uh, doing this podcast for you. Also, we forgot to mention, shout out to Dane Halepetti, who was also retired, um, unfortunately, due to a lot of the issues with concussion. We wish the big man all the best um, as well. It's been, uh, it was fantastic watching you play for the Wallabies. Um, to all of our listeners, we hope you enjoy the rugby this weekend and we will catch you the next time around. Hey, Rick. Did go wrong. I have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sirly Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sirly Bombo, very interesting, very good. Yeah, very good. Three cheers for Sirly Bombo. Very good, very good. <laughs>